my honor to uh, speak on this uh, wonderful uh, forum um so i'll start with a few introduction about our our continent and uh, we'll give some example also how population migrates and uh, what kind of tools we are using how dna can can be helpful to understand our deep population history so with this uh, i would like to um tell that we have archaeological evidences and most of the time we try to validate or we try to corroborate the archaeological findings and we try to fit our genetic dot data and genetic modeling into archaeological findings so uh, as we all know that modern humans evolved in africa and about 1 lakh years ago or maybe 120000 years ago uh the modern humanity or modern humans they started moving out of africa and south asia was first geographical region where modern humans migrated and they settled down so we use mitochondrial dna y chromosomal dna and autosomal dna now we have a lot of techniques and uh, cutting edge scientific tools to sequence the y chromosomal dna autosomal dna mitochondrial dna uh, not from only modern samples but we can also sequence the dna isolated from archaeological remains so the modern data which was collected all over the country that shows that about 100000 years ago modern humans started accumulating genetic diversity so it proves and it confirms that modern humans started diverging among each other about 100 to 120000 years ago so mitochondrial dna that comes from mother to offspring and y chromosomal dna that comes from father to son and autosomal dna that shares equally from the parents all kind of data shows that modern humans evolved in africa and then started migrating to rest of the world about 100000 years ago so our history is very small if we uh, measure uh, these dates on a global or on the on the scale of our evolution so these dates are very very small and over the time of um uh, migrations lot of mixings and lot of uh, replacement population replacement happened and that led to the tremendous genetic diversity among modern humans <clears throat> so this is the fact that modern humans have less diversity with chimpanzees you know the chimpanzees which are only found in africa so they have three four time more diversity than all all human being found across the world so genetically if you see our the diversity of modern humans so we are although we are very diverse but if we compare our diversity to other species so our diversity is very much limited so uh, as i said modern humans evolved in africa and they migrated to south asia via uh, southern coastal route so we have the population sets in andaman and nicobar they are named as andamanese 
Greater Andamanis, Jarvas and Onges. So they are perhaps first settlers who have not mixed to other population groups in India and they are isolated to Andaman islands. So they were perhaps the people who migrated out of Africa about 70 to 80,000 years ago. So we use Onges and Andamanis data to model the ancient population group of South Asia. And you know, like we all, all Indians, we have genetic components coming from these tribal populations. So they are, the, they are our ancestors. Uh, so uh, the genetic data confirms that Andamanis, Andamanis, they are the first migrant out of Africa. And then after that, several wave of migrations happen and that migrations led to multi-layered population settlement and that also led to different diversity matrices within India. So now we have about 4,000 well-defined population groups, which includes many tribes, many primitive tribes and a handful of hunting and gathering societies also found. We have diversity in languages, social structures, dress and food habit, marriage practices, and all these barriers has given us tremendous amount of diversity. So it's very difficult to summarize the genetic history about our India in 30-40 minutes talk, but I will try to focus how uh, this diversity has has led to different population groups and how languages and diversity goes along and uh, uh, how genetic can be helpful to understand that diversity indices within South Asia. So uh, in 2009, there was a big paper that came out from my lab only. Although I was, I'm not the part of this study, but I was, I am the witness of this big study. In this study, what researchers, what they did, they have collected um, 25 population groups all across the country and they have genotyped uh, using autosomal markers and uh, they have concluded that majority of Indians, they are having two major ancestries. So they have given name ANI and ASI. So ANI Mostly North Indians, they are having ANI ancestry. ANI denotes ancestral North Indian ancestry. And the South Indians, they are having ancestral South Indian ancestry. So this ancestry was formed um, up to 5,000 years ago. And during 4,000 to 2,000 years ago, ANI and ASI mix, mixing started taking place. And if you look at the current scenario, so all the Indians, they have ANI and ASI ancestry. So within this time period, 4,000 to 2,000 years ago, the ANI and ASI, they have mixed and now we are, our ancestry is like sandwiched. So we have some proportion of ANI and some proportion of ASI. So majority of North Indian and South Indians, they have this mixed ancestry. So there is no pure ancestry found anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world. 
so we all are mixed and this mixing is mixing is not uh it's it's not a result of a single event this mixing has taken place several time and uh, if you want to look at the deep rooted ancestry so it's very very difficult because modern day south asians they are highly admixed and they are the mixed population so this asi ancestry was formed at long back and then uh, ani ancestry has some proportion of west eurasian and iranian ancestry so that why uh, so this ancestry is somehow different compared to asi so uh, we started my, i started my journey uh, so i am a trained molecular biologist but i have uh, uh, very deep interest in archaeology so first time i have collaborated with archaeologists and historians and uh, we try to collect data from archaeological remains so you know like uh, the india has tremendous amount of uh, samples collections all over the country and uh, despite of the wealth of uh, enormous amount of samples um, we are lacking uh, trained manpower and we are also lacking uh, laboratory to analyze such kind of samples so i attempted first time to established this cutting edge research and this cutting edge facility within india and uh, we tried to retrieve uh, dna from from uh, samples from human remains who have lived about 4500 to 5000 years ago and uh, we tried to extract dna from uh, individuals uh, she has lived about 4500 years ago so we have been successful we isolated dna from this individual and we have sequenced not full genome but partial genome data we have got so from this limited and marginal data we have concluded that this individual is female and uh, this individual is having majority two kind of ancestry so we have given this uh, we have uh, compared the genetic data of this individual with all the published data sets which includes ancient dna data set from all across the world and we have also collect we compared the data from middle east central asia and uh, from swat valley and we concluded that this individual is having majority two ancestry one ancestry is that we have given name indus periphery and uh, the second ancestry is deeply rooted iranian ancestry so we we also found that this individual is not having any central asian or steppe related ancestry so first time it proves that the harappan civilization was indigenous and it was developed it was formed indigenously by the local population groups i'm not sure by that time there was a caste system or there were a, a distinguished group of populations but that time the ancestry was common so all across the harappa harappan area or ivc the ancestry was majority of the ancestry was common and uh, so the, the so the the main ancestry was uh, matching with the uh, andamanis related populations and the iranians who were uh ancestors to the iranian farmers and herders so you know that the the 
why and how Iranian ancestry appeared in the archival example. So we tried to date the ancestry. When did this ancestry arrive in the in, in this individual? So we we did a lot of modeling and we have uh, compared a lot of samples from Iran from different different time periods. Then we found that this ancestry, the Iranian ancestry, appeared in this individual about 11,000 years ago, before the advent of farming in Iran. At the same time, we did not find any Anatolian related ancestry. So it confirmed that Iranian ancestry appeared in Rakhigari individual before the advent of agriculture. So from this data, we first time we confirmed that agriculture system in IVC was indigenous and it was developed indigenously because we did not find any match with the Iranian herders or Iranian farmers. But this ancestry appeared long before the advent of farming. So this was a breakthrough discovery in terms of uh, Harappan settlement. So uh, we also found that uh, 11 individuals from a site in Central Asia that was called Gonur and Sahare Sokta. So these sites were excavated um, in 2016-17 and 25% uh, of the samples from these sites were outliers. So they were not matching with the remaining 75% of the samples. When we compared Rakhigari data from from these outliers, we found a match. We found that these outliers, they are more or less matching with the Rakhigari individual. So it also shows that there were migration from IVC to Central Asia. So first time our paper has talked about these migrations. We also did a lot of analysis and modeling to understand whether it was bi-directional movement or it was a unidirectional movement. So they, then we confirmed that so this migration was unidirection. So a lot of population movement was already there about 4,500 years ago from Indus Valley region to the Central Asia. So I, I uh, so this is these results are making first case report about out of India migrations about 4,500 years ago. So there are like many uh, line of evidences uh, which I can't uh, uh, talk about uh, talk, talk about that evidences here. But we have also compared the material culture that was found in Sahara Sokta and uh, Gunur that shows that a lot of material resemblance was there from uh, from Balochistan and uh, from this uh, Mehargarh. So using material culture also, it confirms that this migration has taken place from IVC to, to this region. So this is the first case of uh, uh, like out of India migrations and uh, we did not find any step ancestry and uh, Anatolian related ancestry in the Akhigari individual. So it shows that that time the population structure was cosmopolitan and a lot of trades were already established and 
lot of trading was in practice from IVC to Central Asia. Coming back to uh, um, late Harappan uh, time period, we have samples from from very well established and well excavated site uh, that is uh, in Sanoli uh, in the Bagpur district of Uttar Pradesh. So here, uh, uh, Royal Burial was excavated by a team of archaeologists of India, and they have excavated human remains. Uh, that was dating back to uh, about 1700 to 1900 BC. From this individual, we try to extract DNA. Although we have very marginal data, but that marginal data shows that there were no step integration by that time period. So from 2500 BC to 1700 BC, we did not find any central Asian or step related uh, ancestry integration in South Asian context. So uh, we are also working on a lot of human remains that was found, that was excavated in Kashmir Valley. So you must be knowing there's a, a site in Kashmir very close to Srinagar. Uh, so this we call uh, Burjohom Archaeological Complex. From this Burjohom Archaeological Complex uh, about 12 to 13 human remains were excavated from different time period and that dates goes back to 4500 to uh, 3rd 4th century AD. So we have human skeletal remains from 4700 years before present to 4th 5th century AD. We have been successful to retrieve DNA data from this Neolithic site and data quality is super good and we have very good quality of DNA evidences and from this data also we did not find any Central Asian ancestry until 1500 BC. So this this work is uh, uh, this work is not published yet and uh, this is uh, unpublished data I am showing here. Uh, I have limitations because I can't show much data out of these samples, but this is making first uh, first case report that shows that until 13th, 14th century BC, there were no step or Central Asian ancestry in South Asian context. We also found that Burjohom sample is matching with the IBC claim, and we also found that there was a continuity. So this settlement was not perished or not vanished. So the ancestry has continued until 2nd, 3rd century AD. And uh, there is also a lot of match with IBC ancestry. So Indus Valley ancestry and the Neolithic Kashmir ancestry has quite resemblance. And in fact, we also found that the modern day Kashmiri, Kashmiri, we have Kashmiri Brahmin data. That Kashmiri Brahmin data also has a lot of gene flow and there's a continuity. So in Kashmir Valley, so there's a continuity since 4,700 years before present until this time period. Although modern day Kashmiris, they have supplements of Central Asian or steppe ancestry, but that integration was not uh, validates the, the claims which was uh, 
put forward by eminent historians and uh, and uh, western scholars that this ancestry has arrived earlier than 2000 years bc or 1500 bc so i am not going to uh, make this topic controversial i am not going to talk about vedic culture uh, i am not going to talk about languages but what we have data in hand that shows that until 13th 14th century bc there were no central asian ancestry appeared in south asia so uh, here also we, uh, we are also trying to uh, reconstruct or revalidate the earlier finding in terms of south asian well established model so this ani and asi mixing that was claimed that this formed about 4000 to 2000 years ago so that we are trying to validate and uh, the modern data and the ancient data suggests that this ancestry was formed earlier but that mixing date we have to we have to calibrate we have to calibrate again so now coming to uh, the gene flow that has taken place in india and the gene flow that has um that that has taken place out of india although we do not have much data about uh, gene flow out of india but with limited data i am trying to make uh, a good case study that we can we can have some hope to talk in this direction in future so you know like india was a country where a lot of migrations has taken place if you go back to 2000 years ago or 2500 years ago we have lot of records we have lot of west europeans and european ancestry that has that has been continuously integrated into uh, our genome and we we have lot of genetic records we have lot of historical records but i will give you some example up and i am giving here two two um two example about some recent gene flow this study uh, was done in 2016 where it was found that with with the portuguese lot of traders lot of slaves were also um appeared in in india and they have also contributed lot of their ancestry and if you now if you go back to these populations so say these populations ancestry is so diluted you can't really reconstruct their original ancestry so this is the case of siddhis so they they appeared they have come to india in 1415th century ad and now they have admixed with the local populations so it's really hard to to trace out their original ancestry uh similarly uh we conducted one study on on uh, populations which are mostly found in northwest of india and we compared the data with the uh with the roma population of europe and we found that modern day roma populations which is mostly found in uh, in uh, in european countries so they have their roots in northwest of india so they migrated to european countries about second third century ad and if you look at their population number and their demographic structures so they are up to 7 8 million populations which are presently found all across the europe similarly uh, we have data from y chromosomal markers that we call r1 a1 uh, line of 
ancestry other this kind of ancestry mostly we use to understand the male mediated migrations so this r1a1 markers is mostly used to understand the male driven population movements so until 2013 14 we did not have much data of this ancestry but now we have collected data from more than 2500 individuals and we found that r1a1 ancestry is more diverse in south asia so so far it was it was found it was it was hypothesized that r1a1 uh, r1a1 ancestry was um, was evolved in europe and since it is found in south asia so maybe the steppe or aryans they have brought this ancestry to india and it was a, a concrete proof until 2014 15 to show that aryans they came to india with this gene and they have diversified r1a1 ancestry in south asian context but now we have data we have huge number of data and we have we have found that the diversity of sub lineage of r1a1 and r1b gene not gene this r1b marker is is high, the diversity is higher than the european population and it shows that the r1a1 many branch of r1a1 was evolved in india and perhaps it has migrated out of india so this is not the case that central asians or the state populations they brought this ancestry or this marker to india but it is the case that this ancestry this marker evolved independently in india and it got diversified over 5 6 7 000 years of time span so, so all these evidences are coming day by day and uh, that giving different dimensions of genetic research genetic findings and it shows that whatever was taught whatever was was published that is that need to be cross check need to be revalidate so uh, coming to another another site that we have samples from uh, bali indonesia and we have very good data sets from from the individuals uh, who have lived in bali around 3rd 4th 4th century bc and we found that they have lot of resemblance with the population coastal population of odisha and coastal population of tamil nadu so it also shows that out of india migrations in 3rd 4th century bc from this region so this is again unpublished data set uh, coming back to uh, one very interesting population group which is mostly found in uh, in kerala and uh, you must have known about uh, cochin jews so cochin jews are mostly found in cochin and uh, there are uh, bene israel jews they are mostly found in mumbai and there are a few jew community they are also found in kolkata so we try to understand how this ancestry mixed with the local population and when this ancestry arrived into india so we have collected data from uh, from like more than 500 individuals from cochin from kolkata from mumbai and when we compared data set from middle east and european jews data we concluded that they arrived to to this part of world 
in 789 century AD and when they arrived they started mixing to the local population so in 40 50 generations of time you will you will be unable to trace out the original uh, jew and history because that that mixing is so significant and so strong that to trace out the original jew and history will be very difficult so i am just putting this example because you know like lot of migrations the migration was has never stopped it was a routine uh, practice since last 2500 years ago and using genetic data one can reconstruct the original population structures and when that in that population arrived to to to, to the to, to this region so uh, when we compare the cochin jews data with uh, with the published data set from middle east europe central asia we found that uh, about 30 to 40 generation before present they arrived to india and they have heavily admixed with the local populations and now you can see here this uh, the red color and this uh, blue color shows that high jew ancestry that is mostly found in european and middle east country but when you see in india so the jew ancestry is only 0 to 8% so it got diluted significantly and now genetically won't discriminate the jew ancestry and the local ancestry similarly parsis so we have one site in uh, gujarat that site is known as sanjan archaeological site so in the sanjan we have found lot of human skeletal remains from a burial site of parsis and uh, basically it's a zoroastrian cremation um, ground that we call dokma so in that dokma is 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 like a, a tower of silence in that well they put their dates so from that well we have we have excavated a lot of uh, human remains and when we analyzed the genetic ancestry of uh, of of those individuals we were shocked to to see their ancestry so you know the parsi ancestry or the jurassian ancestry is matching with the neolithic iranian ancestry when we you compare the modern day jurassian a modern day parsi ancestry which are found in iran so their ancestry is more more towards the neolithic iranians so in terms of admixture events you know when uh, the iran was uh, uh, was not uh, practicing uh, islam as a religion about in to 6th 7th century ad so that time they escaped from iran and the parsis they landed to gujarat and in gujarat they maintained their ancestry but in iran the jurostian jurostians who are still in iran so they could not maintain their ancestry and they had to admix with the the population which were which came from arab so in terms of the original jurostians ancestry indian parsis they are they are having the original jurostian ancestry so we 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 are not only working uh, to understand the genetic makeup of ivc 
and whether step is when this SST arrived and how population demography has been changed over the time. But we are also working on these small, small questions and that shows that how India was a geographical land that time when a lot of movement, a lot of migrations took place and it was a very safe land when populations, they came and without without mixing, without forceful mis- mixing or the uh, consensual mixing, they have been they have been here since that time and they are maintaining their original gene pool. So these are the admixture plots. You can see like they, they, they still have a lot of Neolithic Iranian ancestry and uh, they are still maintaining that ancestry. So they, they, they feel proud that they are still there having that original Jerusalem ancestry. And they arrived to, to India uh, in 7th century AD. They are also very highly endogamous. When we compared uh, their endogamicity, we found that the Parsis are one of the uh, highly endogamous group which are found in in India, and they are now their census size is less than fifty five thousand. Uh, we are also working in northeast of India because northeast India is uh, is a land where we we don't have much data and. Uh, uh, there is a site in uh, Shiv Sagar district of Assam where the Ahom dynasty was established and uh, they they are very proudful warriors and they have saved that that territory from from the Mughal invasion for a long time of period of time. So we have analyzed that data and uh, we found that they have very strong connection with Southeast Asia, mostly Thailand. So genetically. Uh, the Ahom, they are carrying Southeast Asian ancestry. At the same time, they are also mixed with the local Assamese population. So that also like uh, bridge the genetic uh, uh, the gaps between Southeast Asia and uh, and uh, Northeast of India. We found that uh, like the majority of uh, the Y chromosomal DNA that is coming from from Southeast of Asia. And uh, and at the same time, they have uh, equal ancestry that is coming from the local population of Assam. So we are working on mitochondrial DNA and Y chromosomal DNA. We are trying to see the sex mediated ancestry. So we found that they came. Uh, it was not a male, only male mediated ancestry, but it was equally like male and female. They both came and they they established their dynasty in Assam. And they mixed with the local population. Uh, we are also working to understand the genetic ancestry of, uh, this is again unpublished work of Nagaland and uh, other northeast of region of uh, India. And uh, the data is uh, super fascinating. Uh, we have samples which is dating back to 3378 years before present. And uh, we have three individual data in hand. So we are trying to understand the original inhabitants of Nagaland and how this population was changed over time and what was the original or the ancient ancestry of northeast of India. So these are the cave sites. We have got samples, very good set of samples and we have given the name PTL1, PTL2. We have very good data sets. All the data we have authenticated. They are ancient DNA in nature without any contamination. 
we found that the the ancient nagaland populations they have ancestry that is coming from um from majority from the three different regions uh first is uh, tibet and uh, second is the himalayan region and third is coming from elo river uh, civilization which is uh, presently found in china we also compared uh, data sets with the present data set of uh, india nepal and we found that they have like majority of the same the ancestry is coming from tibet elo river and himalayan region and they have also like somehow ani and asi related ancestry we also have a lot of uh, ancient dna data from himalayan region mostly from spiti valley so we have samples from lipa kannam sanglang tashigans so we are covering all the spiti region and we are trying to look at their demographic changes over the time and we found that uh we found that majority of the samples they have ancestry uh, that fits into the ani and si model and uh, they are also continuing the populations we we did not find any significant changes over the time and uh, since the earliest settlement these populations they are staying there and they are carrying forward their gene gene pool so they have also majority of ancestry is uh, matching with the ani si and uh, they have also very good uh, very good gene flow from tibet inward and outward so these are the admixture plots they have also somehow uh, very close ancestry with uh, some of the population which is found in nepal and uh, they have uh, also a source population from tibet and uh, uh, remaining ancestry they have they are they are fitting into this ani and asi model so i i'm just giving one uh, another example that i think uh, um, that i thought to present this work also because it has lot of significance um this work we started in 2015 16 and then um i thought to just give one glimpse of this kind of research also so there's a lake in uh, himalaya mostly uh, this is found at 5550 meter altitude in kumayun region of uh, of uttarakhand in this lake we found a uh, huge amount of human skeletal remains and uh, uh, there was a mystery there was many speculations and hypotheses about the origin of these human skeletal remains and uh, then we started investigating about their genetic ancestry and what uh, what was the reason why this much of human remains are found at such a high climatic conditions harsh climatic conditions and at such a high altitude lake we have analyzed uh, 35 individual samples so you can see the bones are scattered all over the lake and in the vicinity of the lake we use ancient dna extraction and whole genome sequencing approach to understand the source of ancestry and what who who are these people and what they were doing so we did radio common dating of 35 individuals and uh, we found that these in individuals they have they have perished in 8th 9th century ad so there were some harsh climatic conditions and they have been 
they were traveling to to this this terrain and they they got perished due to harsh climatic conditions surprisingly we found two kind of ancestry one was matching with the south present day south asians and the second ancestry is matching with the greek populations so we were surprised and still we have no answer no clues what and why greek what greek were doing here at such a high, high climatic conditions so with the advent of data with the advent of uh, uh, add up of more and more data we will have more and more questions about our our complex population structure so in, in this case in this case of rupun um, there's no any literary evidences there's no historical record that why and what why the greek were traveling to such a harsh climatic conditions so if they were here they might have admixed with the local populations so if greek ancestry is if you find a greek ancestry in some other population group you please don't be um uh, don't be surprised and don't misinterpret the finding that greeks invaded india and they contributed their ancestry so they are the recent samples and we we found that this ancestry was persistent since that time period so we also found that this ancestry is very uh, so we did not find much diversity in this greek ancestry so they are clustering very very uh, tightly all together so they are from a same ancestral background but the samples which is matching with the south asian clan or indian clan they are highly diverse so uh, i just kept few uh, few lines just to i just try i'm just trying to uh, maximize the uh, the take away message from my talk so i felt like difficulty in writing uh, these lines because we can't summarize the genetic talk a genetic uh, work in few lines but still i'm just trying so india is genetically not a single large population instead it is best described as many smaller isolated populations endogamy practice in, in india is very old and has taken place over the time and the tribal and caste groups are not systematically different caste grew directly out of tribal like organization so we don't have much genetic differences between caste and tribe and india is a melting pot which gave rise to several world population we did not find any rn invasion from the data which what we have in our hand and uh, there's a very famous quote i am just keeping keeping it here so it is product of an unscientific culturally biased form of thinking that saw race in terms of color scientifically speaking there are no such things as aryan or dravidian races the three primary races are caucasian the mongoloid and negroid both aryans and dravidians are related branches of the caucasian race biologically both the north and south indians are the same caucasian race only when closer to the equator are the skin become darker caucasian race is not the white race it can be of any color 
from pure white to almost pure black with every shadow of brown in between this is not my uh, statement this i have just taken from from internet uh, written by thomas r trotman uh, from university of michigan usa so uh, the few lines about the dravidian and uh, vedic culture the best vedic chanting rituals are preserved in south india dravidians do not have to feel that vedic culture is any more foreign to them than it is to the people of north india they need not to feel that they are really different than the people of the north they need not feel that they are losing their culture by using sanskrit nor need they feel that they have to assist themselves against north india or vedic culture to protect their real heritage meanwhile the people of north india also need not take this north south division as something fundamental it is not racial differences that make the skin of south india darker but merely the effect of climate and gene the aryans and dravidians are part of the same culture and we need not speak of them as separate dividing them and placing them at odds with each other serves the interest of neither but only serves to damage their common culture perhaps the saddest thing is that modern indian politicians have also used this division to promote their own ambitions though it is harmful to the unity of the country so the last but not least india is the cradle of the human race the birthplace of human speech the mother of history the grandmother of legal legend and the great grandmother of tradition our most valuable and most instructive materials in the history of man are treasured up in india only that was quoted by mark twain in 1835 who lived 1835 to 1910 so i i am very much thankful to my collaborators who are working with me and uh, without the help of the collaborators it's is is really very hard to generate this much of data and uh, i am very much thankful to to sangam talks to give this to provide this opportunity now i am happy to take a few questions thank you so much so david raj the geneticist from harvard uh, claims that he found genetic evidence of an influx of people from the northwest in about 1700-1800 BC, which was widely applauded as, oh, finally, the proof of the Aryan invasion. To this, there are two answers. One is more my field, which has to do with Vedic literature, of which the chronology is such that this finding of an influx becomes totally irrelevant. Why? Because the Vedas are earlier. Sanskrit speakers were in India well before 2000 BC. So any influx that happened at the time is the same as the influx of the Scythians, the Greeks, the Huns, the Turks. They came in India, but they didn't change India's linguistic landscape. There is a second answer, though, and that is your field, 
And so this is, is this true at all that there was an influx in like 1800 BC? Or would you say that on the contrary, there is a genetic evidence of an emigration from India? What's your story? Yeah. Um, genetically, uh, if we talk about modern day Indians, most of the North Indians, they have step ancestry. And this ancestry is, uh, in some population, this ancestry is high. In some population, this ancestry is low. But all the North Indians, mostly North Indians, they have this West Eurasian ancestry. So we are just trying to find out, like, when this ancestry arrived. So until 1800 BC, there are no such ancestry found in India. So whatever the data I have and we have analyzed very in a very accurate way. So uh, with a lot of confidence, I can say that until 1700 BC or 1600 BC, we did not find any such ancestry. So mm-hmm. if genetic data corroborates the uh, the other field of uh, uh, evidences, we can definitely we can. Uh, we can disprove this RN invasion theory. So far, genetically, mm-hmm. I'm very much sure that until 16th, 17th century BC, we did not find any step ancestry. We have samples from different religions. Mm-hmm. I have samples, personally, I have samples from um, Kashmir, from Sanoli, from Rakhigari. We are also collecting more data, but we did not find any step ancestry, which is going back to 1500, 1600 BC samples. Although we have, we have lot of uh, samples which is matching, um, perfectly that is coming from Central Asia. And as I said, 25% of samples which was found in Turkmenistan and, uh, east of Iran. And those samples are going back to mature Harappan time period. And the date is around 2300 to 2400 years before present. So in fact, we are finding Harappan ancestry in those places at that time period. But so far, we did not find any samples in Indian context, which is showing step or Central Asian ancestry in that time period. Mm-hmm. In that case, um, the Bactria Margiana culture, um, what is its uh, genetic relation with the Harappan area? Either way, you see, it could be an emigration also, but so is there any sign of this uh, migration? Migration from which, uh, out of India? Yes, let's say migration from what is now Punjab to what is now northern Afghanistan to Turkmenistan. Yeah. So, yeah, so actually, uh, we try to uh, understand whether this this migration was bi-directional as a unidirectional. So we mm-hmm. confirmed that this migration was unidirectional and uh, we also found a lot of material culture in Turkmenistan that was completely matching with the IVC material culture. Mm-hmm. So using material culture data and we have also modeled our genetic data, we confirmed that this migration was unidirectional 
and the the best part is that there was a cultural assimilation also because if mm-hmm. someone is moving out of india and that burial was found exactly in a such a way that the original inhabitant of those area were buried so it was not like a accidental finding so it was a burial it was a cemetery so in in such a uh, in a such a perfect manner where their original dates were buried they have also buried the people who have migrated from ibc mm-hmm. and they have also buried their cultural artifacts their potteries with the dead the bodies right. yeah okay final question um maybe more people but certainly premendra priyadarshi has argued that there is a lot of genetic evidence for migration from india though he doesn't cite any human evidence but he cites the evidence of mice who follow the human beings and of cattle who are taken along by cattle herders which is what everybody says the aryans were um so that you find a certain percentage of zebu genetics yes. even in syria and even in ukraine yes so can you further enlighten us on this yes i have collected uh, cow breeds all across the country so we have data from cow breeds um uh, for more than 12 breeds including this uh, the dwarf cow breeds of kerala to north jebu breed so we have found mm. that uh, this uh, the genetic signals which is like you mentioned in syria and uh, some of the taurine breeds of uh, spain and uh, italy we found the mm-hmm. jebu signal in that genetic data so the cattle data it confirms that there was uh, not exchange but there was a migration there was a movement of agro pastoralist community out of india that time period but mm-hmm. we, we have genetic evidence from cattle but we have also evidences from human remains also aha uh-huh. so like okay. uh, and, and we have evidences archaeological evidences also we have evidences from material culture so all these evidences are making good sense of out of india migration but uh at the same time okay if you compare ancient dna data from indus valley or indus periphery we did not find much genetic contribution from ibc clan to the populations who are who were there in their time period like neolithic iran or mesolithic iranian context so there was not a human genetic contribution much at that time period so here at this point we are lacking we do not have much mixing signals so what i am mentioning here that there was a migrations we found that rakhi gadi or ibc signal in turkmenistan but they were first generation migration they have not mixed with the with 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 their populations so until mm-hmm. we are finding a genetic mixed data we cannot confirm we cannot prove that there was a mixing there was a like settlement so we are working in this direction hopefully with more data will we will have more evidences
Okay, thanks a lot, sir. So the first question is that, sir, uh, suppose there are I mean, similarity between population of A and B. So from that similarity, how it can be computed the direction of migration of the culture? Uh, there can be a possibility that uh, the, the ancestor from A has moved from from point A to B. So there there will be again similarity after hundred uh, years in uh, from uh, if if we see the gen, uh, genetic data of A and B, and again the vice versa is also possible. So how you conclude or how that is been concluded? Yeah. So actually, uh, we know the ancestry because if we are comparing. uh the ancestry of sare sokta and gonur in turkmenistan so we know the ancestry of hunter and gatherers populations who have lived 10000 years ago we know the ancestry of 8000 years ago populations we know the ancestry who have lived 6000 years ago in that area and we know the ancestry which which have, who have lived 4000 years ago okay so when we compared data from 10000 to 4000 and when this mixing happened 5000 years ago we are finding like for example 5000 years ago we are finding that genetic similarity but when we know the genetic makeup from 10000 to the modern time period okay so if this this uh, migrations has taken place if they they would have mixed there they could have contributed their ancestry okay but they have not mixed so they have not contributed okay but if that ancestry is coming to this region so definitely that ancestry we could have found in modern day south asians so we we did not find them that ancestry in modern day south asians so that confirms that that movement was not vice versa so for example if that ancestry 5000 years ago if those populations they have anatolian ancestry okay but we are not finding anatolian ancestry in south asians that is going back to 5000 years ago so that this proves that the migration was not vice versa another proof that we have if somebody is coming from that side to this side they will definitely bring their material culture so we did not find any material culture in that time period but we are finding material culture from ibc side to those side so that confirms that this migration was unidirectional and despite of this we have a like lot of models so we do lot of permutations like simulation studies and permutations studies just to to see all the possibility just to disprove like we, uh, we can't leave any possibility like we have to see like all kind of possibilities but with with all possibility we did not find any any hypothesis that is fitting inward movement one of your paper that that was in science so the formation of human population in south and central asia so there there a claim has been made that uh, this uh, yamanian uh, steppe equestrians have came 1000 years uh, up to 1000 years bc to uh, contribute ancestral north indian yeah. and another another uh, paper in bio r bio r 14 there was also in the abstract there was a claim that Uh, the population means uh, from the genetic responsible for the spreading of indo-european language across much of eurasia so so are this uh, claim are not contradictory so what you are saying because yeah. this is in 2019 yeah, so, yeah this claim is uh, contradictory and uh, you know the language and gene doesn't go along 
so if genetic you if you have genetic signatures or genetic findings genetic proof then you can correlate with the linguistic proof so as i said we all everybody has this uh, step ancestry in modern day indian population so this is the question like when this ancestry arrived so i personally i used to believe that this ancestry must have arrived in 2000 bc time period but as soon as we have data we are just narrowing down so there i don't have any problem with uh, step ancestry uh, in 2000 years bc in fact couple of years back i used to believe this that this ancestry must have arrived that time period but as soon as we have we are we are getting more data more and more data we are just uh we are just finding that this ancestry is not so early but it's very late arrival of step ancestry in south asian context it was a great talk dr rai thank you so much thank and you. um i have um i have a couple of questions but uh, i'll i'll keep it short but if possible i would like to email you further on you know there are some more things i would like to know so uh, to get to get to my question before that i would uh, uh, i was very um i was very happy to see the data that you showed about bali and uh, indian travelers to bali so taking off on that um actually uh, from all the research that we have been doing we see that most of the texts from uh, southeast asia like all the regions across the indian ocean realm like java cambodia sri lanka maldives a lot of places they actually have a lot of documentation about people from kalinga going there and settling colonies even burma and in burma the cloud of these places rather we don't have in present day odisha about we don't recollect those uh, uh, you know those connections but they have in their ancient texture um, texts i'm sorry so uh, reading upon some very old books written by like from the translations of those uh, ancient texts i found that so do you have any uh, further uh, uh, you know plans of taking a, a bigger data scale from the entire erstwhile kalinga coast kalinga coast as you know was uh, from kalinga region was from the tamralipta area to all the way till the krishna delta so right now they are all different named as different states and all but the entire kalinga region they had a like a regular uh, exchange of people and culture through to all the indian ocean regions so do you have any plans of taking more uh data points throughout the kalinga coast along with all these uh, you know places of indian ocean realm like even to maldives to farther reaches of oceania and uh, burma and you know all these places so do you have anything like that in the plan uh, so have- i think i uh, i would be happy to collaborate with you on this topic because uh, we are trying to collect a lot of informations uh, online and we are also exploring libraries but uh, yeah we are finding a lot of evidences that i will mention that from kalinga regions lot of uh, uh, maritime trade was recorded in uh, in the literature of uh, uh, the south asian countries but um, like you know like we are having a lot of informations but we are like we are just struggling to compile that information which can be useful which can which we can use in our 
uh, our publications are our purpose. So I think for this, uh, I would love to collaborate with you. And uh, if you have time, uh, we can set up a meeting, a discussion in coming future. That would be that would be wonderful, sir. I would email you. And I have just one one more question mm-hmm. that is related to your. Uh, it was uh, again something very uh, uh, significant I saw in your presentation today about Himalayan regions, the genetic data you showed. So here I need to share something first, and then I'll ask my question. Mm-hmm. So many people don't realize that um, during the Vajrayana period of Buddhism, like right now, if you see in the Himalayan kingdoms of Bhutan, Tibet, all the Himalayan kingdom, the Buddhism that is followed is more of the Vajrayana Buddhism. Uh And many Siddhas and Mahasiddhas from Odisha, actually Odisha region, the the Odiana region, they Uh went to the Himalayan kingdom. They carried this Vajrayana. In fact, Padmasambhava, was the adopted son of Indrabhuti, who was the ruler of Sambhala. His text starts with an invocation to Jagannath himself. So my question here is, have you ever thought of this very niche area of doing genetic studies of, you know, this region with the Himalayan kingdoms? Because there was outflow of a lot of, an inflow too, but outflow of a lot of people during the Vajrayana period. Yeah, so uh, very good point. You have mentioned a very good point. Um, you know, the uh, samples which we are analyzing um, uh, from that, from this time period. So uh, what's the date of this Vajrayan Buddhism that appeared in Himalaya? I think after 6th, 7th century. Maybe. I think so, yeah. Because so uh, Indra Buddha, in yeah. The late samples, which are dating back to 6th, 7th, 8th century AD, we are finding this uh, ASI ancestry. So in Himalaya, ASI ancestry at that time period must have brought by the populations from Odisha. Uh, maybe during that time was Jain Buddhism expansion. So that we are just trying to explore like uh, how this ASI ancestry could have arrived in that time period. But the samples which are going back to early time period, like say six, second century AD or first century AD, we are not finding ASI ancestry. So that ASI ancestry in 7th, 8th century might have brought during this Buddhism expansion. So that we have to validate. We can't really prove that this ancestry might have arrived due, due to this Buddhism expansion, but we can make a, we can make a very strong case and we can discuss about this, this religious expansion. Do we have any AASI DNA samples? And also, when do we first get Indus uh, Klein ancestry in the deep south. Estimated admixture date, what could that be? Thank you. Unfortunately, we do not have ancient ancestral South Indian ancestry, but we have uh, uh, data, we, the data are coming from South India, so that data is coming uh, coming from 5th, 6th century uh, BC samples. So from this, uh, we are, we are going to figure out the ancient ancestral South Indian ancestry and, uh, that will publish this finding soon. And also I'll, I'll talk maybe, uh, sometime in some of my next lecture. But so far we don't, we don't have ancient ancestral South Indian ancestry because, you know, like, um, all the South Indian populations, they are, they are, they are mixed. So although we have very few populations like, uh, 
Palayan, Mudaliyar, and uh, Palliyar. These are the populations. They are they have more ASI ancestry, and they have they could be a a good proxy for ancient ancestral South Indian ancestry. But we are not very much sure that we, we are, that without uh, ASI ancestry that we can't answer the exact date of uh, that ancestry. So that I think uh, for to answer these questions, we have to wait. We need more data. Sir, my question was that uh, uh, you was um, saying that some more publication will come in future, and that uh, that happened means two year early one of your video, but uh, the findings are not been published yet. So when they will be get published? So yeah, with the the publications like I mentioned, like R one A one. R one A one paper that is in pipeline, and uh, we have uh, megalithic data from South India. We have samples from Tamil Nadu, Karnataka, uh, Telangana, Andhra Pradesh. So we have data sets from this full state, and the samples are very unique and they are very like quite old. They are from all megalithic context. So uh, this paper is also almost ready, and then uh, we are just interpreting the data. Hopefully, in this year, this both paper will arrive. So, uh, sir, this uh, one of the professor of Harvard, Michel Visser. Sorry, am I pronouncing the name uh-huh. wrong? Maybe. Uh-huh. So, so in one of your paper that said, so he has commented that uh, of course there will be no uh, steppe ancestry or or R1A1, particularly the R1A1 gene. Uh, because that mixing happened after the decline of Indus Valley civilization, and the and the remaining is from the Indus Valley civilization. And again, some of the group has argued that this, uh, as there is no presence of urban even gene, although it was a, it, you said that it was a woman skeleton, so the problem is there. So although the urban even gene is not present, so they have concluded that the Aryan migration has happened after the Indus Valley decline. So what will be your comment on that? Yeah, that's why now we are we are we are coming with uh, coming up with more data. What we are finding that R1A1, the many branches of R1A1, that is uh, that is deeply rooted to South Asia. And uh, when we are analyzing more markers like G93, G95, and M270, there are many markers. When we are sequencing it and genotyping it, the downstream markers, we are finding more and more diversity in the South Asian populations. So if the diversity is very high. You can't say that this migration would have taken place after the collapse of Indus Valley because if diversity is very high, so it means that that haplogroup is old. So if that haplogroup is old, then how you can justify that this migration happened after the collapse of IBC? So, like for, for example, if the downstream marker of R1A1, there's like R1A1, A, A2, A, like something like this. If somebody is arguing that this 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 uh, haplogroup might have come through Central Asia around 4,000 years ago. But when we are estimating the age of this haplogroup, if that haplogroup is 6,000 year old, 6,000 year old before present, if this haplogroup is diversified, then how we can say that 4,000 years ago, somebody brought this ancestry to South Asia. So this is the, this is the problem with the, uh, this uh, Y chromosomal based haplogroup population studies. So until until we are not very sure about the downstream line, because you know, like R one A one A R one A one A two B something like this. If 
if this is the terminal of any tree if we are not finding any downstream markers downstream branch of that haplogroup so until we are not finding we, we can't be very sure if you are finding downstream diversity very high in south asia and that diversity is very less in europe that we are speculating that during that time period these populations or this haplogroup might have come but we are not finding that diversity in european populations but that downstream diversity we are finding more in south asia so that will be the opposite case 